This week on the programme, as a major beat haulier goes into technical administration, questions are asked about the timing. It seems extraordinary to me that this has happened right at the beginning of the campaign, uh, which leaves a lot of uncertainty out there. We'll have the latest. On a more positive note, Louth livestock market is saved. But it could be argued now the hard work really begins. A market just held on a Thursday morning is not sustainable going forward, so we've got to find and explore other ways of using that site. And we discuss claims of weed killer in our ice creams. Even if true, just how harmful is it really? It's the dose. It's the same as aspirin. It's the same as alcohol. It's all these things. It's the dose. You only have them in moderation. And if you had all these things in a higher dose, we'd all be on our back. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. We start with news that a major sugar beet contractor has gone into what's described as technical administration, affecting jobs at the company concerned and a real risk of a serious knock-on effect to growers currently lifting beet. Alan Robson is agricultural chaplain and uh, is naturally concerned. As agricultural chaplain, I'm I'm aware and I've read the news and uh, heard the news about um, M&J haulage have been put into administration and um, I assume the administration process is carrying on and personally, it's a big, big setup. Um, British Sugar have offered a, an emergency number for people who are concerned about their lifting um, to get in touch with them. Um, it seems extraordinary to me that this has happened right at the beginning of the campaign, um, uh, which leaves a lot of uncertainty out there. Um, and I'm sure M&J employees, of which there are at least 45, are equally um, now worried about their futures and what they've got to get sorted out. It is a concern, isn't it? But I, I guess the thing is, there, in one way, help is out there. If anyone has concerns, there are people who, who they can talk to. Yes, and um, yeah, I hope the farm workers can feel they can ring Lincolnshire Rural Support Network and we'll endeavour to guide them into the directions they need. Um, but equally, I, I assume the administrator will tell them, tell the workers what sources uh, they need to go to. Uh, so it, it's a bit of a journey, um, and we'll see what the future brings. Well, that's uh, Alan Robson, the uh, the agricultural chaplain. With me now, Andrew Wilson from the National Farmers Union. Uh, Andrew, obviously this is having a worrying effect, I guess, for a number of your members. It is. Um, I mean, I've been speaking to uh, an awful lot of our members over the past week who are concerned about their crop in the ground. Um, the company that we um, are obviously talking about uh, are an integral part of, uh, of the sugar beet harvesting, loading and lifting in the area. And uh, and we want to uh, work with British Sugar. We are doing, we've been dealing with them uh, for the last uh, couple of, uh, of months on this issue. And we want to be in a position where we can offer assurances that are made by British Sugar and by the industry that uh, growers will be able to get their beet lifted. They will be able to get it loaded and they will be able to get it hauled. It's, couldn't, I mean, there's never a good time, but this certainly isn't the right time, is it? Right at the start of the campaign. With three weeks, you're quite right. With three weeks into the campaign at the moment, we are looking at a huge crop out there from all of the uh, data and the information that we have at present. Uh, to be three weeks into a campaign with a crop that's this size out there to suddenly um, have a big risk of losing this part of the supply chain, uh, it's, it's awful timing um, for the campaign and it's very concerning for growers. I know NFU Sugar have got a helpline. I know British Sugar also have a helpline. I guess the advice is, 
if you are concerned, get in touch, and and you will be giving out more information as 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 the information comes into us. Really, I suppose. Absolutely, we can't. Um, yeah, we we're not in a position where we can offer uh, direct information to growers at the moment on uh, on where they are, because uh, at the moment the situation regarding the company is uh, is still unknown of how it's going to operate going forwards. But we are here to to help growers. We're here to offer advice, and as we get advice coming in, we will be relaying that out to our growers. Andrew, for the moment, uh, because we are talking again in a short while on a different subject, but uh, thank you. That's Andrew Wilson of the NFU. Well, British Sugars MD Paul Kenwood is quoted as saying they've done everything they can to support the business concerned and are sorry to hear the news. He says they have contingency plans confined largely to the Newark factory with other contractors identified to step into contracts if required. It's certainly one we will be watching over the uh, coming weeks. On to better news, certainly for those fighting to save Louth livestock market. We told you last month the council executive had recommended keeping it and spending money on refurbishment. Well, on Wednesday night, the full council backed the plans unanimously. It did come with a word of warning, though, that more needs to happen to make the market more viable. So we're not back here again in a few years' time, considering its future yet again. Adam Grist is responsible for market towns and rural economy at East Lindsay, the council that made the decision. Well, I think first and foremost, it sends a very clear message that East Lindsay District Council is committed to a livestock market now and into the future. Um, that, for me, is the most important message that we should send from tonight uh, to the, farm, the wider farming community. If they've got that certainty, then they can get behind the market and make it more, more of a success. So that's the most important message for me. I think it's very clear also that a market just held on a Thursday morning is not sustainable going forward, so we've got to find and explore other ways of using that site for uh, other days of the week to make it more viable for the benefit of everybody. There are so many dynamics to this, but when we're talking about five, six hundred years of history here, and you can't make a decision about that lightly, and I'm glad that everyone tonight was unanimous in the support that they showed for, for the cattle market. I hope it has a very, very long future. I think it's got every chance of success if we give it that long-term certainty and, and uh, the chance to grow and evolve into the 21st century. Well, that's Councillor Adam Grist. It's uh, a question facing livestock markets across the country, really. What can be done? Andrew Wilson is uh, still with me from the uh, NFU. What, what do you make of the decision? Delighted, I guess. Uh, we were, yeah. I mean, as, uh, as a farming union, it was a great example of how all of uh, our members and also wider members of the farming community pulled together uh, to save this facility. It's the last remaining livestock market in the county. It's very, very important that Lincolnshire has this facility, that it has a livestock market within the county. And uh, and it's been uh, the culmination of really three years worth of uh, of lobbying and uh, and of letter writing and of putting pressure on ELDC to advise them of uh, of the value of this facility within the county. As we've touched on, it, it needs to be viable. We don't want to be sat here again in two, three, four years' time uh, questioning whether it is viable again. And, and it needs to be more than a Thursday market, really, doesn't it? I guess that's the hard work now starts to make sure that it, it stays as a viable operation, not just on a Thursday morning. Uh, well, that's what we all want. And uh, if you're in any business, when you've got uncertainty of your future hanging over you, it's not good for business. And, uh, and Louth has unfortunately been in this position um, for a number of years where there's been a black cloud over the 
the future of the market. And all that does is uh, have a detrimental effect on it. But uh, we're now in the fortunate position where we've got a guarantee by ELDC that they're going to invest in the site and that uh, the future of Louth Cattle Market is secure. And that will be a benefit to all who use the market and, and hopefully for uh, customers that uh, that have probably moved away and will now come back to it. And certainly with the investment being made on there, we're urging ELDC to make those uh, um cost well costed uh, investments into the site and uh, and that we'll have a facility there that will be a vibrant uh, market for uh, as now and for future generations as you say people power it shows it can work you know sometimes you hear of a consultation you think they're just going through the motion you know the, the decision's already been made but they prove that actually you know with the right level of of campaigning the right level of people speaking out about it really you can change somebody's mind or, or certainly make a, a decision that is of the benefit of it i agree i agree with you entirely it's uh it's it's the culmination of uh, of, a, of a long period of work for us uh, in the national farmers union we've uh, we've engaged with mps we've engaged with local authorities we've engaged with councillors we've engaged with other farming organizations uh, as well as members of the public on this and uh, and the result speaks for itself when i was at uh, the uh, i attended the uh, public consultation at tedder hall and the, they had laid out 200 seats for people to come and air their views uh, to ELDC and 350 people turned up and it was standing room only. And at the end of that meeting, when they had a show of hands of whether they wanted to close it, build a new facility or whether they wanted to invest in the original facility, it was unanimous that everybody wanted them to invest in the new facility. And the vote from the uh, councillors, I'm very, very pleased to say, has, uh, has followed the public sentiment. Okay, Andrew, for the second time this morning, thank you for your time this morning. Andrew Wilson of the NFU, you're now free to leave. (laughs) Thank you. Now, if you want a gun licence, you know it can be, understandably, quite a lengthy process. An issue that can be frustrating, particularly in agriculture. Well, now one force has pledged to speed up that process, though insists thorough inspections, including home visits, won't change. Mark Jones is Police and Crime Commissioner for Lincolnshire Police. Well, really what we're looking at is a the, the UK's first digital solution to firearms licensing. So the idea of this system is that people will be able to put their details straight onto the form online, send it in to us, and that will automatically contact the GP for, for the medical uh, details we need and instantly come through our system to make it work better. So... It isn't something that's being done elsewhere. This is the first system, and we hope very much that other forces will will follow suit. I mean, at the moment, we're waiting for bits of paper to arrive in the post, postal orders to clear. I mean, who uses postal orders? So we've got these very slow, clunky systems in place at the moment where all of that paper that gets moved around between different police stations to go and do checks will disappear, and it'll all be streamlined and, and a lot faster. That's Mark Jones, he's PCC for Lincolnshire. Maybe other similar rural forces will uh, soon follow suit. You might have heard, or rather read, depending on your newspaper of choice this week, claims that weed killer was found in a brand of ice cream. A study found traces of glyphosate in 13 out of 14 tubs of Ben & Jerry's ice cream on sale in various parts of Europe, including the UK. Of course, glyphosate is an issue we've touched on many times here on the programme. And while Ben & Jerry's is saying it is taking action to eradicate the issue in its tubs, some are asking, why bother? Andrew Ward is among those fighting to stop a glyphosate ban. Andrew, I know you've spoken many times about the use of glyphosate. It's it's all about the dose, really, isn't it? That word trace in the tubs? Uh, Exactly, Sean. And it's all about dose. This is the critical thing that we cannot stress enough that it's all about the dose and whatever you want to look at in any product we eat you will find it 
It's as simple as that because the mechanisms now for tracing and finding these, these whatever's in food is unbelievably high and accurate. And they can now trace, and I always have a job with understanding this when you say parts per billion, but that is what these people use. But when you start putting it in another um, meaningful way, in seconds compared to years, they can now trace th products and, and actives and substances in food to the equivalent of one second in 320 years. They can actually trace that in food. Now, if you want to look for arsenic in, in food, you'll find it, but it's at what level? And it's the critical thing, Sean, here, like you say, is the dose. It's the dose of all these things and the amount of ice cream you'd have to eat. And I don't know what that number is, but it'd be huge. It's the same as bread, that a human being would have to eat two and a half times their weight in uh, their body weight in bread a day to, for the, for the uh, glyphosate level to get to a maximum residue limit. And it's all about the dose. And this is what these people who, who try and want these products banned don't say it's the dose. It's the same as aspirin. It's the same as alcohol. It's all these things. It's the dose. You only have them in moderation. And if you had all these things in a higher dose, we'd all be on our back. OK, couldn't be clearer. Well, that's uh, Andrew Ward's views, shared, I think it's fair to say, by our agronomist, Sean Sparling. Yes, good morning, Sean. I agree with Andrew Ward absolutely on this. It doesn't happen very often that I do that, but I do on this occasion. They stated in this article they had found 1.23 parts per billion, which is uh, one part per billion is a second in 32 years. It's a grain of coffee in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. It says more for the people who've in invented the... Uh, capability to detect down to this level than it does about anything else. So in a 500 milliliter tub of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, they found a maximum of 1.23 parts per billion of glyphosate. Now that's 0.00123 milligrams of a possible carcinogen, which poses no threat to human health whatsoever. It's classed in the same bracket as hairspray, as eating red meat, as working a night shift, as eating fruit. You stand the same risk of getting cancer from all of those things as you do from any residue of glyphosate. So the consumer, it's no threat to the consumer whatsoever. Sunlight, for example, is a class one. Alcohol is a class one. Nicotine is a class one. We're exposed to all these things all the time. Nobody ever bats an eyelid about them. But this is a class three out of four. So in a glass of wine, the same media a couple of years ago published they'd found one part per billion of glyphosate. And they made headlines about this. A carcinogen which isn't a carcinogen. It poses no threat to human health. And yet they completely omitted to mention the 37 million parts per billion of a class one carcinogen, which was alcohol, which is in the same glass of wine. Perspective is the key. Now, a 35 kilo child can take in an acceptable daily intake of something like glyphosate is 0.3 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. That's 10.5 milligrams per day for life to get just 1% of a dose that is still considered to be safe. That means that 35 kilo child would have to have eaten 8,536 tubs of ice cream every day for life to get 1% of a dose that wasn't going to hurt it. That's 4.3 tonnes of ice cream every day, 124 times his body weight to get 1% of a safe dose over a lifetime. We need to get some perspective. The cholesterol and the fat in there is tens of thousands of times more dangerous than the tiny trace of glyphosate. 
So 4.3 tonnes a day, if you're making your child eat that amount of ice cream, that's parental cruelty anyway. There is nothing at all to be worried about with those sorts of residues. Even if one 500ml tub of ice cream was eaten, the glyphosate maximum is 30,000 times lower than the acceptable daily intake, and yet we're constantly ingesting things which are higher than uh, the acceptable daily intake as published to us by the European Health bodies. Um, an example of that would be caffeine. We're drinking two or three times more caffeine we should be drinking in a day and yet nobody is batting an eyelid about that and yet we're getting hung up when we're eating and drinking 30,000 times less than an acceptable daily intake of glyphosate. We need to get some perspective here. Glyphosate is not dangerous to consumers at all. Full stop move on. So let's do a very quick bit of agronomy then. Oilseed rate grown like bilio. The foamer levels are increasing very very quickly in some varieties and in some fields. You need to keep your eyes open when you get to that threshold of one plant in ten affected or on a real thick forward crop one plant in five affected. You need to get out there. There are some cheap products out there. Don't You don't have to go expensive. Diphenoconazole is quite cheap. It does a reasonable job of uh, foamer. And remember you can mix that fungicide in with things like a Clearfield or Clearanda or Clearavo. They can mix in with those things. But nothing is going to mix with your Centurion Max as we said last week. The deadline for using that is rapidly approaching the end of October. So make sure it's on before then and make sure you're leaving a good 10 days either side of any other treatment. Winter wheat drilling, ah oh, that's going at a pace. A bit too quickly on some of these farms and some of these fields where the black grass is an issue. If you've got ploughed land which has been ploughed and nothing else has been done to it, then you may want to just knock off the crust with a light cultivator to try and encourage black grass to come so that you can glyphosate it off before you start drilling. Um, if you go straight into some of these ploughed fields, the black grass may well come up with the wheat and then you're in a mess. And that's why it is so very important that you put your pre-emergent herbicides on as soon as you possibly can after drilling, preferably within three or four days. And that's before the black grass gets a chance to start growing its roots down and getting away from that herbicide band. You want it to be germinating within the herbicide band. So use a good stack, be robust, because there's very little you can do to this black grass once it's up and running and through the ground because the Atlantis type materials are facing massive levels of resistance out there. You need to do as much as you can within the five days following drilling and within the five days preceding drilling as well. So glyphosate pre-drilling and then get a good herbicide stack on and keep your fingers crossed. And the better the seed bed you can get, the better the control will be from those herbicides. And if you keep your booms down at 50 centimetres above the ground, slightly coarser side of medium, you can do a lot of good, even if the wind is slightly up. So application is key. 12k maximum, please. And coverage is absolutely crucial. Thank you. Agronomy at the end there. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. On to our weekly report from Open Field. Then Chris Spratt has the news you'll need this week. Well, uh, yeah, quite quite busy still. Uh, I will say most people are fully flat out on land work, really, uh, full swing in most places. Uh, and phones can go quiet at this time of year, really, when, you know, from a grower's perspective, getting next year's crop established is, is more important than monitoring grain values, quite frankly. Um, but the seed department's flat out, you know, um, getting getting seed out on farms, of course, from Colesworth. Um There have been some points for discussion throughout the week, mainly on the UK wheat 
crop size. Following on from last week's DEFRA estimate of 15.2 million, we've seen European analyst strategy grains. They've pitched in at around about 14.5. That's very near to the open field view, I have to say, at the moment of 14.6, but above what I think is the NFU figure of around about 14.2. Who's right? Who's wrong? Well, I think um, you know it highlights the variable harvest that we've had, and uh, I think we could see some big regional variations by the end of the season. A difference of a million tonnes is, is fairly significant, especially when you take into account that's the difference between needing to export wheat or needing to import wheat. Um, we may well see both this year. Um, in July, August, we actually imported around about 100,000 tonnes more, ton, uh, more tonnes than we exported. So I think it could be all down to timing, regional supply, but effectively the difference between the two options could be worth around about £10 a tonne in, in, in market structure, really. Uh, so at the moment we're nearer that import pricing structure but it's got a long way to go before the market becomes clear and certainly internationally I think the markets can be described as ill-defined as best apart from what's happening on from Russia into North Africa there's still an awful lot of business to be done and uh, trade flows to be established this year Uh, USDA on Thursday they did actually increase world uh, wheat uh, production from 744 to 751 million tonnes, so uh, a little bit more in the system there. The all-seed rate market this week, well, that's been crabbing sidewards for quite a while now, as as of a lot of the markets, quite frankly. Uh, but we did see towards the end of the week a little bit more interest from consumers. Um, you know, there's been precious little of the store tonnage that was put away at harvest that's been sold, so that needs to come to the market at some stage. There is still eight months to go. Thursday's USDA report should uh, offer some support, I think. Um, there was a little bit of a surprise downgrade to the US uh, yield soya bean data. However, they did increase the area planted, so... I think overall we saw the carry-out stocks of US soya beans below what uh, the analyst expectations were, but that still is reported as the highest uh, stocks for 11 years, so I don't think anybody's pressing the panic button. Uh, domestically in the UK, beans coming forward slowly, but growers need to find the right market and establish the quality before they leave the farm, and, and really to be realistic with the quality known, um, there's a high brookid damage this year, and we really need to get make sure we get the right pricing aspirations and the right quality criteria set out before uh, the beans leave the farm. Nevertheless, we have got homes for most specs and qualities. If we have a look at prices, November feed wheat 139 to 142 X farm with a pound a month through to May at 145 to 146. Group 1 milling wheat premium still in the range of 13 to 15 pound dependent on area. And November 18 feed wheat 140 to 145. Feed barley, 122 to 125 for November and 128 to 130 for May. Uh, spring barley premiums, well, that depends on the variety you've got, the area of the country that you're in and, and the specification that you've got. Uh, premiums around about £30. I will say the market is, again, still ill-defined at this stage about quality intake. Um, spring barleys are generally sold on a max 185 nitrogen basis. We've got some that are above that. We're seeing some consumers that may be bending a little bit with that, but um, still early days. Also, you'd rape 310 for November with not much of a carry forward on the bid side, but I don't think there's much of an inclination for selling further forward uh, at the moment. Uh, and then finally, feed beans, uh, £150 any time between now and Christmas, with the best quality human consumptions making 180 Thank you. Chris Spratt. It's uh, a warmer weekend, you'll have noticed, but will it be a lengthy Indian summer? 
Let's see what the forecast is for the week ahead. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, it's certainly mild. Sunny day today. Temperatures peaking at 20 Celsius in places. The wind from the southwest, 15 to 25 miles an hour. Clear skies overnight tonight. Keeping temperatures around 13 degrees. The wind still from the southwest, 10 to 15 miles an hour. And the possibility of a shower early tomorrow in some cloud, but still sunny spells. Warm as well, 22 the high. And the wind more from the southeast at 15 to 20 miles an hour. It's going to be quite gusty Monday into Tuesday, still pushing from the south-southwest, so gusts maybe at 40 miles an hour for a time. Uh, clear skies in places, but uh, clouding over everywhere else. 14 the low, so mild. And then Tuesday, sunny spells, staying windy though from the west-southwest, 25 to 40 miles an hour with highs. A little bit cooler because of the wind changing, 16 degrees for Tuesday. Overnight Tuesday into Wednesday starts cloudy but clear skies later. Temperatures down to 9 Celsius. The wind from the southwest 10, gusting at 25 miles an hour. And then looking at Wednesday itself, it looks like it should be mostly dry but cloud will increase. And that wind getting up as well from the southwest 20, maybe gusting at 30, even 40, 50 miles an hour by the end of Wednesday. And by Wednesday evening itself, we'll see a band of uh, heavy rain sweeping across the area. Once that rain's gone, we should be in for a sunny end to the week. Cooler though, we're looking at temperatures nearer 14, maybe 15 Celsius. Still quite breezy, blowing more from the west. That's the forecast, so uh, make the most of the warmer weather while it lasts. Likely to be the last of the year over the next couple of days. Obviously on that uh, Beat Haulier story from earlier, it's one we will be keeping a watch on over the coming days. Hopefully we'll have more of an update on it on the programme next week. It's the Harvest Festival service at Lincoln Cathedral at three o'clock this afternoon. Sean Sparling will be doing one of the readings, so if you're there, please do come and say hello. If you're not there, worry not, we can chat here at the same time next Sunday. Have a good week's farming.